It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, how are you doing? Hope the summer is going well. My name is Matt Hausman, the host of Smart Money Questions. And I hope you guys are enjoying the summer. Let me tell you, it has been, uh, we are finally really got some good weather up here in Metro Philadelphia. So listen, what I wanted to jump into today, this isn't going to be a real long one, but it is very important. I've had some questions that have come in from clients over the course of the last three or four weeks. And some of these questions aren't asked many times because it doesn't necessarily affect many clients. But it's so important to have an understanding under the current rules as to making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing with your qualified retirement accounts. It is so important to make sure that if you're in these situations or, and I'm going to talk specifically with regards to making sure your heirs understand this, because what I'm going to be talking about there is referred to as the stretch IRA. And as we know, currently in Congress, there was a new bill that was passed that does away with the stretch. Currently, that same bill is in negotiations in the Senate. And the interesting thing about it is what's holding it up in the Senate has nothing to do with a qualified retirement account. The articles that I've read, it has to do with the 529 plans and the availability of funds there. But currently... And even if they pass these laws, they're not going to go into effect until the end of this year, 2019. It's still important to have an understanding on what a stretch IRA is, that your heirs understand where your money is, most importantly, how it is characterized. We're going to talk a little bit about the stretch. And then also, I get this question all the time, and that is, are my accounts titled correctly? So I'm going to address that. But first, let's deal with the disclaimer. I don't know you. Well, you know, I might know you, but there's probably a good chance that I don't know you. So therefore, please, please, please do not take what I discuss on this show as direct advice for you. Treat it more as information and education that then you should discuss with your advisor, attorney, CPA, or whoever you normally seek out counsel, if you do seek out counsel. Now, if you would like for me or us to be your advisor, we can certainly have that conversation. But I caution you that normally we only take on about 50% of those that do seek us out. And it's not because we are overly selective. We just feel very strongly that there's a right reason to hire an advisor, but there's also a wrong reason to hire an advisor. So if you'd like to seek us out and have that conversation, there are multiple ways that you can do that. Probably the easiest is to call my office at 610-719-3003. That's 610-719-3003. Or you can simply go to speakwithmat.com. And either way you go, you can schedule a time for us to meet or to simply speak. And if you're not in the Metro Philly area or Northern Delaware, not to worry. We actually have clients in 10 states and we're very comfortable with working with clients virtually if that's something you are interested in. Okay, so I I get a call and I do have a couple clients that are still working over the age of 70 and a half. And the question I get in this case was from a client who is wanting to know, and so just so you know, that in the event you are still working and contributing to your company 401k plan, 
that that account, that account is not subject to minimum distribution requirements or it's not expected to be calculated into your overall qualified retirement account minimum distribution requirement. So let me state that again. If you are over 70 and a half and you are still working and contributing to your company 401k plan, keep in mind, it has to be the company you are working for now and contributing into. Not an old 401k from way back in the day that you haven't moved to an IRA, but the one you are currently working at is that you are not required to take a minimum distribution from that account. But the question from the client was, I'm looking at going part-time. And if I go part-time, am I now subject to the minimum distribution requirement? And after some investigation and talking with some of our accounting and CPA contacts, what we were told is that in the event you are still contributing and the employer is considering you employed and qualifying for benefits, which would be the 401k, then you are not subject to minimum distribution requirements. But here is one thing to understand, is that in the event, so in my client in this case, was considering you know, working part-time next year, probably up until, you know, sometime in the fourth quarter. And what I had to explain to him is this, that might not be the best time to leave because in the event you do leave and you are over the minimum distribution requirement age, currently 70 and a half, you will be required to take a minimum distribution in that year. The way the accountant explained it to me is that in the event he was to leave, be considered gone, on December 30th, he's responsible to take a minimum distribution by 1231. So after that discussion, we're going to be looking to leave, or he'll be looking to leave probably in early January. So just as a recap, if you are still working and over the age of 70 and a half and contributing and considered employed by your employer, contributing to the 401k, is that particular 401k is not required to have a minimum distribution. Even if you go part-time, if you are still able to take advantage of that qualified retirement account, you're not subject to that minimum distribution requirement. But in the event you leave any time during that tax year, it will automatically create the obligation of taking a minimum distribution from that account. But one thing to understand is it goes into the calculation for minimum distribution, but if you have other accounts that you can get access to and you take the minimum distribution from those accounts included or what would be necessary from that account, that essentially would satisfy that requirement. Basically, the IRS just want to make sure you take out enough money and pay tax on it. So just be really careful about that. If you're in that situation or if you happen to know someone that is, make sure that they understand currently that are the rules. But one of the things that, you know, when I spoke about the SECURE Act, which was passed back in late May, is they're looking to raise the minimum distribution age. Congress currently has approved 72. The Senate is wanting to take it to 75. It's going to fall somewhere in between there is what I'm predicting is going to happen. 
and these rules would then be applied to that, at least currently the way it is written, 72 and 75. But one of the things that's happening, and this is the question I've been getting from some people, is Congress has done away with the stretch. And the question was, well, Matt, what in the world is a stretch IRA? So let's talk about that real quick. Currently, for non-spousal people that inherit qualified retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, what have you, non-spouse, this doesn't apply to a spouse, is that when that money passes from the owner of the account, let's say a father, and the mother has already passed, and now that money is going to move to the heirs, let's say a son or a daughter, now the IRS has very strict rules as to how that money can move. There's a couple different ways that you can take advantage of the stretch IRA. Now, one thing you want to recognize is currently there has to be a designated beneficiary on that qualified retirement account. This includes Roth IRAs too. So that 401k, 403b, 457, traditional IRA, Roth IRAs, we have to have a designated beneficiary on there. In the event we have that, and that person inherits it, they can, if they want, now they could cash the whole thing out, right? And then all of that tax is going to be due and payable on whatever that amount is. Let's say the IRA is $100,000. That is immediately going to be calculated as an additional $100,000 of ordinary income on their federal and state tax returns. So then you want to look at what are your state tax rules. Now, they could end up stretching the IRA. And what that means is they're going to go to a custodian, let's say a Fidelity or a Schwab or a Vanguard or even a bank, a financial institution that now is going to take that money in as a non-spousal inherited IRA, sometimes referred to as a beneficiary IRA. It's very important that your heirs understand this because there is no do-over, okay? We have the 60-day rule in traditional IRA rollovers, right? The IRS now has restricted that to one transaction for every 365 days. But in this situation, there is no do-over. So they want to make sure that the account is titled correctly at whatever financial institution they want to use and then whatever they're going to invest in. But the stretch IRA allows them now to take minimum distributions, which they will be required to do, but now based on their age, or it's based on life expectancy, so if you know normally they're obviously going to be younger, which means they have to take out a minimum less than the person they inherited it from. Let's say the father was 80 and the son is 55. Is the son or the daughter at 55 now their minimum distribution age or amount is going to be much less? They still have to take it. And this is where it becomes very important as to the custodian that you choose is willing to administer that, help you in calculating what that minimum distribution amount is. Maybe having a automatic payout of that minimum distribution because in the event that the heirs do not take that, they are still subject to the minimum distribution penalty of 50%. Okay, That means if the minimum distribution was $5,000 that they had to take out and they don't take it, there is a penalty coming of $2,500 plus the taxation on the $5,000. So it's very important. Now, currently, as I said, they're looking to eliminate the stretch. 
currently, well, Congress has already done it. We'll see what the Senate ends up doing. But they're actually, Congress has said that they want those accounts now not to be stretched out over your lifetime, but they want that time period of distribution condensed to 10 years. The Senate is talking about five years. They're basically saying that, listen, that retirement account was built for the individual that saved, and it's not meant to be a wealth transfer situation. You know, I think we all can agree, considering it was a whopping bipartisan on Congress, 417 to 3, that it's going to create additional tax revenue from making the stretch gone and making you take more money out of those accounts at a quicker pace. And normally when people inherit those, they're still working. Working and, and you know, could be in the highest earning years of their working career. And then we're just going to add this on top of it. Now, the other thing, let's go back to designated beneficiaries. It's so important is that in the event you do not have designated beneficiaries on your actual account, your 401k, your IRA, your Roth IRA, what have you, if it's not there, don't think that your will will get over this, okay? If there is not a designated beneficiary, the only other option that the people that are going to inherit your IRA is either they're going to have to take it all in one year or the amount is going to have to be completely dissolved by the end of the fifth year. So designated beneficiaries are extremely important under the current rules to take advantage of the stretch IRA IRS rules for extending that tax deferred opportunity it's still taxable when it comes out if it's traditional type of accounts. Roths, obviously not, but they still have to take a minimum distribution. But now, based on their younger age, and they're not subject to that five-year rule. So really important to understand and make sure that your heirs understand where your money is and how it is characterized so they do not get into. Because good golly, let me tell you, I have seen some horror stories on people that did not take those assets in correctly and were left many times having to be on a payment plan with not only the Fed but the state to pay those taxes depending on the size of their current income and the size of those accounts. So really important to understand the stretch. If you have any other questions about that, all you have to do is just go right to smartmoneyquestions.com or speak with Matt. Schedule a time for a 15 or 30 minute conference call. I'll be more than happy to go over that with you. Now the other question I get a lot especially from married couples, is when they're looking at their IRAs, usually this doesn't happen with a 401k because their understanding is when I am working, I'm the employee and I'm contributing. But then when we're moving money out of the 401k or 403b and we're moving it to an IRA, many times the question comes, I want to be able to add my spouse to this account. Can't I do that? And the answer with regards to an IRA is no, it's an individual retirement account. But it got me thinking, let's really go through and analyze the different ways that you can title your accounts, the ownership of the accounts, and in some cases, not even financial accounts, but even other like real property, cars, things like that, understanding how things are titled. So let's actually address that. So when we look at qualified retirement accounts, that's going to be the 401k, 403b, or the traditional IRA or the Roth IRA, those accounts are always going to have one account owner. 
I'm going to use myself as an example. I have an IRA. It's my account. Now, here's the key. We just got done talking about the importance of designated beneficiaries. My primary designated beneficiary is my wife, Maggie. So she's immediately listed as the primary beneficiary. God forbid something happens to me, that money now is going to go to her as a spousal inherited IRA or Roth IRA. Then we have contingent beneficiaries, which that means they're second in line to Maggie, which are our children. Okay, so that's usually the explanation I have to give to clients is, listen, the IRA is still going to have to be in your name. We can't change that. It's associated. The IRS can only allow one Social Security number accounted for that account. But your spouse is going to be listed as the primary beneficiary. And then we always suggest going ahead and naming contingents as well. We want to always make sure we have designated beneficiaries on there. So now let's move on to where we can have joint ownership. And so when we look at other different types of assets, these are after-tax accounts, right? So then we have like a traditional checking, a savings, traditional brokerage account. We can even have real estate. We can have cars. That's when we can get into joint ownership. And just to let you know, I'm not going to go through all of the different types of joint ownerships, but there are many. Some can be used very strategically. This is where we might want to get involved with a lawyer to see what we're wanting to accomplish. But I'm going to talk about the most common, which is joint tenants with rights of survivorship, J. T-W-R-O-S. Many times that is the way your checking account is listed, your savings account. So I'm going to use Maggie and I for an example. On all of the assets we have outside of qualified retirement accounts, we have joint rights of survivorship. And what that means is, I'm just going to use a checking account, for instance. Something happens to me, Maggie as the joint owner automatically assumes full ownership of that account, or if it's real estate, or if it's a car it automatically moves to her. So it's real important now that we're going to name our children as the primary beneficiaries of that account. Why would we move them up from contingent to primary? Because now they're not going to have any ownership to that account until both Maggie and I have passed, and then that money would move to them. Now, in the event that you we're talking real estate. We're not talking financial assets. We're, you know, financial checking, savings, brokerage, accounts like that. Now we're talking about real estate and cars. Now, this is a different process where if it's the home, Maggie and I still have ownership together. And that ownership, if I pass, is going to go directly to her. But now for that asset to move to the next generation, that's where we're going to get into and we need to talk to an attorney, start doing some estate planning because there's no place to have a beneficiary on a deed, a real estate deed or a car title. And so that can be done either going through probate if it has to be used by a will to move that asset or we would want to talk to an attorney. Does it make sense now for us to have a trust if we're wanting to avoid probate? And there's many different aspects with regards to how we fund the trust if we're going to go there. And that's why you would definitely want to seek out an estate attorney to help on how you're going to title those other accounts. But I get that question all the time. I wanted to make sure that you guys understood what that is and and how those work and how those accounts move around. It's real important to make sure they're titled the way you want those assets to be treated 
when you are no longer here. Extremely important. So, you know, I always advise clients that, you know, taking care of legal documents, taking a full review of all of your accounts, looking at it initially at like a 30,000 foot view and then getting, you know, down to the, you know, nitty gritty rubber meets the road and making sure that exactly what you are thinking is going to happen is going to happen because it's all titled correctly. So listen, that's all I've got for today. I hope this has been helpful. If you have a question or scenario, or you'd like to just have a, a phone call, you can go right to speak with Matt. My calendar is right online there. You can set it up a time for us to speak or simply shoot us over an email or go to the website smartmoneyquestions.com or email info at smartmoneyquestions.com. Give us a, a question or a scenario, something maybe you've heard that you'd like for us to address, and we will be more than happy to investigate and share that with everyone else as well. So everyone have a great day. Hope it's been helpful. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.